This morning, Josh is going to be teaching us from Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26. And it says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Maybe you don't have to be so funny. I mean, would it kill you not to be so funny all the time? That's all I'm asking. This woman thinks I'm very funny, and now you're going to be funny, so what am I going to be? I'm going to be a short, bold guy with glasses who suddenly doesn't seem so funny. This is so ridiculous. Can we just go over there? Look, Come I, on. I don't have to be funny. I don't care. It doesn't, no way. It's completely under my control. No, it's not. You cannot not be funny. Of course I can. I'm being funny now. A little. <laughs> sucks, and I'm sorry if that offends you. You know, some days just suck, you know, and they're bad. Uh, and and uh, the rest of the family is like, no, things are good, things are good, and they're always looking for the positive. Uh, there's another movie that I like uh, that kids should not watch. Uh, it's the remake of Vacation, uh, the original, and, and the remake is so funny. It's just absurd. And the reason why I like it is because the dad is just such a relentless optimist in the face of this entire vacation falling apart. I, I look at Solomon as being the opposite of that. He's a relentless pessimist. And, and uh, if things are going well, he's going to bring you down. If you go, hey, 
I just got promoted. And things are great at my job. Oh, well, you know, coronavirus is probably going to ruin everything. Uh, it's the Debbie Downer SNL skit. It, it, it is everything is bad. But what's great about Solomon is that he's, he's fair to everybody. If things are going poorly for you, he's just going to bring you down even lower. Uh, you know what? I'm not feeling very well today. My, my knee hurts or something. You know, well, we're all headed to the grave anyway. Uh, oh, things are going so poor. My grandma just died. Well, you know, that's great because that's where we're all going to end up. This person is focused on what is reality. Uh, recently, uh, the Auschwitz Twitter feed, I don't know if you follow us, the Auschwitz Memorial, uh, they have their own uh, Twitter feed. And they, want, they wanted you to follow it for the uh, 75th, how far are we out? The 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And uh, it's a great follow because every day you get a picture like this. Uh, and this is from the Auschwitz Memorial. This is on March 5th. You can start your day by reading about on the 5th of March 1940, Hungarian Jewish girl uh, Katie Schwartz was born in Zvogny, I don't know what that is. In 1944, she was deported to Auschwitz and murdered in a gas chamber. So if you want content like this, on your Twitter feed, you can subscribe or follow the Auschwitz Memorial. Now, I, I certainly like think we, we need to not deny the Holocaust, but you know, I don't want to see. I want to see like uh, my daughter showed me a video of a dog shoving five tennis balls in its mouth. That's the kind of Twitter content I'm in for. Not a picture of a little girl whose crime against humanity is that she's a Jew and therefore deserved to die. Like I, I. I I don't want to be reminded of that on the daily. And yet Solomon reminds us of that every single moment. He, he pushes the reality on us over and over and over again. We, we can take a cute little girl off. Uh, she's just staring me down as she goes, like, I died and you're ridiculing me. Uh, so to, to set this up, Rick talked about this last week. It set up the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but just as a, a reminder, Solomon was a king. He sets that up in the very beginning. Uh, and, and he never identifies himself as Solomon. Most people assume uh, that it is. Uh, but, but whoever wrote it definitely is a king. He says, you know, I'm a king. So in that framework, we're supposed to understand that this person who's writing it, presumably Solomon, could get anything he wanted. Well, I, he's king, so anything in his dominion, he could get. Whatever he wants, he could get. And in so doing, as he writes all these things, he's not trying to put himself in his shoes and say, look, I've been there. You know, I know what that's like. He's trying to say, I have everything you've ever hoped for, and I went after it hard in all these areas. And let me tell you, they all are disappointing. Every single one leads to just frustration. And so he's not trying to relate to you. He's trying to say, what you want, I've gotten so much more than that, and it doesn't matter. So we've got a lot of verses we're going to go through uh, this morning. Rick, Rick left us a lot to study. I feel like I'm the sub, and like the teacher left me lesson plans where it's like, I've got to cover all this today, so we're going to do it, and then we're going to say, Rick, we did it, and he's going to be so proud of us, and also that we all got good marks for paying attention. 
so uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, and we're just going to walk through uh, the rest of chapter 1 through the end of chapter 2. So, uh, and, and we're going to break things down into the things that Solomon tried to find meaning in. To say, you know what, the point of life is to do this. Because this was Solomon's journey. He said, what is the point of life? What, what is going to give me true meaning in life? Since I have everything, what is going to satiate this desire for something of significance? And he starts off by, by looking at wisdom. Uh, and we're just going to light move it on this because I don't know too many people who are like, I want to become the most learned person in the world. I don't run in those circles where people are like, you know, I'm going to know more than anybody else about subjects. Uh, it's just not, not my friend group. It may be yours, but if you fall into this case, then, then pay attention. Otherwise, you can just kind of zone out until we get to, to the next section. So, uh, 1 verses 12 through 18. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is un an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and the striving after wind. Remember, Rick talked about that word vanity is vapor. It's pointless. It's meaningless. It's gone away so quickly. Uh, verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are able to move through the queen. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So he says, you know, I looked at learning lots of things. I looked at trying to understand lots of things, and I found out that it's pointless. So the, the point of that section is if you think you're going to find satisfaction in learning a lot of things, then just stop. So tomorrow when you go to school, raise your hand and be like, I'm not learning anything because it's pointless, and, and then Boston will be sent to the principal's office, and then your parents will come in and your dad will defend you and say, this is all pointless. And I'll throw things and then you'll get expelled. Uh, but we're going to move on to something that we actually do struggle with in our culture. And I'm going to label this one hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Hedonism. And so this is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And read this with me. Well, not out loud, but just in your head. Uh, it says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. 
I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity in the striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he goes through, and you can kind of see all the things he tries, all the things he tries to please himself with. He says he, he uh, tries to cheer his body with wine, and then he goes and he, he builds houses and planted vineyards. Uh, this whole thing is just a giant flux of all the things that he did. Uh, he had pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. He bought slaves, uh, which, you know, maybe you want to do that, but you shouldn't. Uh, and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. So he's got all these animals. He's got all these things that back in the day everybody was like, oh, he's got all those yaks. I can't believe it. Oh, he's got 20,000 sheep. Oh, that's so awesome. And, and, and the things that we would sit there and be like, man, I wish I had a thousand sheep. And he's like, dude, I have 20,000. Let me tell you, just a lot of poop. It's not really what you want. Uh, he gathers for himself silver and gold. and the He gets all these things. He gets singers, uh, which I guess was cool, both men and women, so they could have a lovely duet. Uh, or a chorus, you know, a, a a, a group together. And then many concubines. If you don't know what a concubine is, it's somebody who is uh, in relationship with you uh, but doesn't have the status of a spouse, so they're not a wife, uh, but you get to have sex with them. So he gets to have sex with lots of people and he's like, oh, this is great, oh. And then at the end of the day, he ends up in verse 11, and I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and the striving after wind. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. So he does this, and he ends up saying, it's all pointless. I did all these things that, that everybody wants, and it's all pointless. And, and these are things that I think we actually do struggle with. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about these. Uh, Matt Chandler talks about uh, that there are three walls that we go to for satisfaction. Three walls that we go to to drink from for satisfaction. And those three are money and stuff, sex and relationships, and success and respect. Money and stuff, sex and relationships, success and respect. And if you think through your life and things that you hope to gain, you can probably place those things into one of those three wells. For me, I, I tend to struggle with, with all three. And, and for a while, I thought actually I was good on one, uh, but uh, I, as I thought about it more, I, I really kind of failed there too. So the first being money and stuff. I want uh, we need a, a new car. I, I said this one time. I was talking about um, a, a, a church I used to work at uh, that had a lot of wealthy people in it. I was talking about how there was a, a kid uh, that 
worked with us who wanted to go on the mission field, but his car broke down, and so he had to buy a new car, and he had to take out a loan for it. And then that week, somebody gave $10,000 in his name, like, to him to pay off the car. So I'm hoping that this will work here. We need a new car because we've got three, I know, I, I've got three vehicles. Uh, but all three of my vehicles are older, and uh, we, we would like to get a new car. But, and beyond that, like, I want financial security so badly. I, I want to not have to ever stress about money, ever. To not have to think about it. To where it's like, oh no, our, our roof gets caved in our house. Okay, fine. We'll write a check for it. We don't even have checks. Uh, uh, <laughs> man, uh, everything was just destroyed in a fire, but we're all healthy, it's fine. We'll just go buy a new house now. And to not have to think about money ever. Like, that's where I want to be so badly. And yet, Solomon is saying, hey, look, I've been there. I wanted things that were so much better than you want. Let me tell you, they don't make you happy. And yet, every day, I think, that's going to make me happy. That would make it. Uh, like you, I have spent my lottery winnings in my head. And I've got different uh, great points. If we win 5 million, if we win 10 million, if we win 100 million. Don't worry, if we win 100 million, I'm, I'm very generous. We set up a scholarship fund that goes to St. Charles High School. Uh, 25 kids every year can earn this full scholarship. And, and so don't worry, I'm not going to hoard it. I'm a great person. But money and stuff. The second one is sex and relationships. I, I tend to be pretty good here, at least I thought I was, until I started thinking about uh, how I want to be esteemed highly in my relationships. Uh, an instance of this. Recently we had a deacon's meeting. Uh, Becca was there, Ben was not because he's a slacker. Uh, but we had a deacon's meeting and Rick went around and I, I think it was at the end of this. Dang it, we're recording. Uh, we haven't been recording and so I felt safe because I'm going to put two people on blast here and they, they both go to church here. And then, don't worry, it's all innocent. Uh, but Rick went around and kind of encouraged us all individually. Well, isn't that how you describe it? Yeah. And he was like, hey, Becca, you're good at this. Hey, Josh, you're good at this. I don't even remember what he said about me. But I remember what he said about Brett. And the reason why is because he goes, Brett, you're just the best dad I have ever seen. And I'm like, for real? Are you going to do this right here, right now? I'm like, I am such a better dad than Brett. I've got three kids. He's got one kid. I've got three. And my kids are older. I've gone through all this stuff. And you want to say, he's a better dad than I I wanted to bring it up right there and that was like, yeah, Brett. Good job. I'm like, no! In my head, why? Because I wanted that I wanted other people to see my relationship with my kids. I want my relationship with kids, my kids to be better than your relationship with your kids. I, I really do want that. And, and and I don't which is a fine thing to want. Where it becomes sin is when I look at that and I say, that is going to bring me satisfaction. That is going to give my life meaning. And that's where I slip into sin. And it may be the same for you. It may not be. 
Then the last one is success and respect. Uh, this is the one that I go to over and over and over again. When you look at love languages, I have loads of affirmation, and so I just go to this like like you guys do for cocaine. I mean, I I just was somewhat presumptive. Uh, but I, I want people to esteem me highly. Uh, in my head, I want right now you guys to think, wow, Josh is doing a great job. Wow, Josh is so good at this. I, I, want, I crave that attention. I, I crave success and respect from, from my colleagues at work. I, I recently, um, I, I just left a job and I just had my first week in my new job. And as I was leaving my job, I wanted word of my departure to spread like wildfire throughout the building. I wanted to be like, Josh, you're leaving? Oh my gosh, no. Instead, my... <laughs> The <laughs> lady I report to, he ran in his mirror and said, well, I'm sorry, I didn't get to know you better. I was like, thank you, I want to focus on our departure, and that transition well. There was no, like, hey, can you tell me what you're going to be making there? Can, can, is there any way we can keep you? There's, uh, her boss, uh, who I've interacted with, never said a word to me about it. The uh, executive vice president did talk to me and said, hey, I heard you're leaving. I was like, yeah. He's like, where are you going? I told him. And then he's like, well, that's the block. And I'm like, okay, so you're not going to beg me to stay? And like other people were like, hey, there was no like donuts brought in to celebrate me leaving. Uh, there was no like, Josh, please don't go, no cards. Or, or, or people weeping. There was one lady who cried. And she is the only one who I like there now. Uh, she, she's, uh, it, it doesn't, we're looking like that. No, no, no. There's <laughs> a lady who used to shoot me uh, with finger guns. Uh, she, she did say, you have to take me with you. She's, uh, that accent, she's from Italy. It's not me like saying that she's done or anything. She's from Italy. Um, so, but I go to this over and over. Even in my new job, in my first week there, there were so many times I wanted them to be like, wow, you actually know what you're talking about. Guess what didn't happen? Not once did they go like, hey, you're going to be really good here because I can tell you know what you're talking about. You're coming from a life sciences company. You're obviously adept at project management. Instead, they're like, hey, there's a lot of initialisms, a lot of acronyms. You're going to have to learn them all. And then I'm like, okay, okay, I promise I'll learn them. And then I'd be like, hey, is this like this? And they'd be like, no. You're trying. I like that. But no, you're way off. And, and so, but I want success and respect so badly. And where that becomes sick. It's okay for people to respect you. It's okay to be successful. Where it steps into sin is when I go to that for satisfaction. When I say that is what is going to provide meaning to my life. I think if you think through the things that you try to find satisfaction in, you will find that you go to one or two or all three of those wells. Money and stuff, sex and relationships, success and respect. The next section that Solomon hits on Verses 12 through 17. This is right living. Right, I, I'm labeling it right decisions. So 12 through 17 says this. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can, man, can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. 
Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and the striving after wind. This right decisions, I'm grouping in as, for, for us, what we have a tendency to slip into is religiosity, saying we need to do these things that are extra-biblical, things that might be good. Uh, when Erin came in this morning, she commended Jeff for, for wearing khaki pants and, and said that he chose to dress his best for the king, which is a phrase that you grew up with or hearing uh, on some level. And, and, and this idea that, that we can bring honor to God based on the outfit, the, the clothing we choose to wear on Sunday morning. And, and it's things like these, the, these trappings that surround what God asks us to do, these things that we build around saying, you know what, Christians don't cuss. Uh, Christians don't uh, vape. Or you shouldn't vape. Uh, Boston's like smiling and he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to start vaping. Um, uh, you shouldn't debate. Uh, you shouldn't uh, do. Uh, you shouldn't consume alcohol. You shouldn't. Uh, oh, uh, when I was a kid, we were. Uh, I was allowed. I had to wear dress pants and a nice shirt on Sunday morning. And on Sunday night, I, I could wear a different shirt. I don't think I could wear jeans. I think I had to wear pants. But I could wear a shirt, but it couldn't have writing on it. That was our rule. If I had a shirt on Sunday night that had writing on it, I obviously was entering the throes of hell. Uh, and, and it's things like this that, that, that we say, oh, that is wise living. This is religious living. These contracts that we put up around it and say, oh, that is what a foolish person does. That, that is what somebody who's choosing to not honor God does. And, and Solomon is saying, that is vanity. It's, it's pointless to do. And then uh, the vanity of toil, verses 18 through 23. He says, I hear all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled, and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even at night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There, there are some of us who think that work is going to bring us satisfaction, that, that if we labor hard, 
that, that we are going to, to get satisfaction either through because of the money and the stuff that it provides or the relationships that it allows us to, to run in, the circles that it uh, allows us to, to hang out in, or the success and the respect that it affords because we excel in work. And, and we have a tendency as a culture, I think, to measure people by what they produce. Uh, it, I have a tendency to judge myself if I'm lazy on a day, like a, a Saturday, if I don't get a lot done, especially in the morning, you know, if it hits you know, 10 or 11 o'clock and I haven't done something productive, I begin to judge myself, you know, man, you know, I've been really lazy. And I think that, like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing a good job. I need to, to be more productive because I measure myself based on what I produce. I measure myself based on the work that I do. And, and Solomon is saying that is a pointless endeavor. And then uh, he closes out the chapter, verses 24 through 26. He says, this really is the way to find joy. It says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God is giving wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Wisdom and knowledge and joy. This is what Solomon uh, commends us to pursue. Wisdom and knowledge and joy. I break this down into, I know what to do. I know why to do it. And I find wholeness in doing it. What he's saying is there are things, like even though it's all pointless, even though none of this really matters, there are things that you have to do. You have to eat or you will die. You have to drink or you will die. You have to work or you will not be able to provide for your family unless you come from money. Uh, but you have to do these things. And the best thing you can do is know what to do, know why you're doing it, and to find enjoyment in the daily living, to find enjoyment in what you have to do every day. An ecclesiastical perspective like this helps us view these daily activities correctly. It helps us see them through the lens of the gospel. And I think when we do that, it creates a sense of empathy. Because we view the events of our lives through the lens of the gospel, we're able to, to move past like feeling sorry for people when bad stuff happens, or feeling sorry for ourselves. But it helps us empathize with what's going on. Uh, the problem is that our sinful selfishness erodes that and it stops the flow of the gospel. Our sinful selfishness brings the focus off of empathizing with others and brings it on to us. Uh, to, to set up what I'm about to say, uh, you need to know what the green light debit card is. I loosely know what it is. Uh, it is a debit card that you can give to your kids and you can throw money in there and then it enables them to spend money more easily, which is what every kid needs. So, 
I'm driving to work, uh, and uh, I listen to NPR as I drive, and they were talking about uh, the religious uh, fighting that is happening in India right now. Uh, and, you know, there were, like, I forget the number, but 50, 70 people that died uh, in battles uh, between Muslims and Hindus. And I started thinking about what I've done personally, like how have I accepted those who are of a different religion to me? How have I stopped the flow of the gospel as I've um, just lived my life, as I've seen my, my faith as, as better because of something that I've done? When all, you know, I just happen to be chosen by God, and, and yet I have a tendency to, to judge others, and a tendency to look down on others. I used to work with a guy that was Jehovah's Witness, and they're like, man, that's so dumb. Like, how can, and, and yet, like, I, I believe things that I think others would say are so dumb. I, I believe that uh, I have a sinful nature because a, a person in a garden ate a piece of fruit that they were asked not to eat. And, and because they were my representative, that I now have a sinful nature. And, and that sounds absurd, and, and yet I choose to believe it. And, and so I'm thinking all these things, and yet sinful selfishness erodes our attention. It, it distracts us away. So I'm driving to work, and I'm thinking all these things, and, and I'm really pondering how I stop the flow of the gospel. And I see a billboard for the green light debit card, and on it, there's a dog. And I said out loud, Oh, you can put a doggy on it? And I thought, my kids would love a debit card that has our dog, Joey, on it. And I, then I started to think, I'm going to have to look into that. I went in the span of a half second, and this, is, I guess the moral of the story is, the word advertising works. Uh, but I went in the span of a half second of thinking and evaluating how I stopped the flow of the gospel by judging other people by, by esteeming myself more highly to I need to get my kids a debit card that has a picture of our dog on it in the span of a half second and that's what sinful selfishness does it, it distracts us away from, from allowing the gospel to flow out of us from allowing us to be there to empathize with people because what's going to happen good stuff is going to happen in your life and you should enjoy those moments Solomon says we should enjoy those moments. And bad stuff is going to happen in your life. And, and we should learn to frame those correctly through the lens of the gospel. Because whether it's good or it's bad, all of it is meaningless. All that matters in life is to find joy in what we're doing. Know what to do. Know why we're doing it. And find joy in the doing we long for significance. We long to, to understand the meaning of life. And that's what people around us are desperate for, even when they don't know it. Recently, I was talking with uh, the boys during, during youth group, and uh, we were talking about how everybody has a desire for God. And, and my son said, no, my, my friend doesn't have a desire for God. I'm like, he thinks he doesn't have a desire for God. He doesn't know it, but he has a desire for God. He is trying to satisfy that desire with something else. These things that Solomon talks about. Uh, there's a movie I like uh, called The Green Mile. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Uh, it's good. Uh, but there's a part at the end 
that in the, the scripture that is actually in the bulletin that, that I want to focus on, uh, the part I want to, to look at together. I don't know why it does that. I'm not bending down either. I don't know. Okay, but uh, I'm going to read the part before this. This is towards the end. If you haven't seen the movie, I'll kind of set it up briefly. Uh, it's a Stephen King movie, or it's a Stephen King book that was made into a movie. So there's some weird parts to it. But there's a guy, uh, the Green Mile is uh, death row in this prison, and this gentleman named Paul works there. Coffee uh, uh, is, John Coffee is one of the inmates who's scheduled to die. And through a series of circumstances, uh, Paul, uh, the, the jailer, the person that's in charge of the Green Mile, they call it the Green Mile because the center line down it that they have to walk is painted green. So that, that mile uh, is just called the Green Mile. And, and Paul's in charge. And through a series of circumstances, he's discovered that John Coffey is actually innocent. Uh, and that he actually is for some reason imbued with the ability to heal people supernaturally. Uh, and, and he has these powers. And, and Paul has this conversation right before he's about to execute John Coffey. And he says this, setting up the part that uh, we'll look at in the bulletin. He says, On the day of my judgment, when I stand before God and he asks me, why did I kill one of his true miracles? What am I going to say? That it was my job? My job? And John Coffey, the inmate, says, You tell God, the Father, it was a kindness you've done. I know you hurt him and worry him. I can feel it on you, but you ought to quit on it now because I want it over and done. I do. He says, Coffey hesitates. Now he's the one trying to find the right words, trying to make Paul understand. And Coffey says, and this is the part that's in your bulletin, I'm tired, boss. Tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain. Tired of not ever having me a buddy to do with, or tell me where he's coming from, or going to, or why. Mostly, I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand? And Paul replies, yes, John, I think I can. And, and what John talks about there is, he, he, he's tired of not being in community. He's tired of not having somebody to live his life with. He's tired of not knowing what life is about. Not, uh, uh, what does he say, tell me where he's coming from or going to or why. And he says, mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. We are empowered to show people what, what the meaning of life is and, and to bring people in the community and to help people understand why there's pain in the world. We're empowered with that through the gospel. And if we can frame our lives correctly, if we can see our, the events of our lives through the lens of the gospel, it empowers us to pass the gospel out to others. And so that's my encouragement to you. Allow the gospel to flow through you, to empathize with other people, to help them have community, to help them see uh, the, the meaning of the pain in their lives, and, and to help them understand why they're here, because people are desperate for meaning in their lives. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that, that we 
We don't have to wonder if things will bring satisfaction. We don't have to wonder if these things that we strive for will bring meaning to our lives because you clearly tell us that they will not. And yet, God, every single day, I go to other wells for satisfaction. I, I go to other things to bring satisfaction and meaning to my life outside of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would help me, that you would help us pursue you, pursue the gospel, and allow the gospel to flow through us to provide empathy to others as they go through their own personal struggles. And God, I pray that, that we would be lights, that, that, that we would be beacons of hope, that we would push back the darkness, that we would push back the fall, and that we would help people see the meaning and, and the truth that happens when we pursue the gospel. We love you, Father. May our lives reflect that love.